Welcome to Multiversal Q, your guide to the comic book multiverse. Now in podcast form. I'm Luke. And I'm Devin. And this time we're... Covering all that other stuff from House of M. Uh, yeah, if you missed the first part, go listen to it. It's like less than a half hour long. And it will sort of set up things that will be contradicted in this episode. Hooray! Yeah! Uh, so, like most modern events, there were a lot of time issues, and that is what we are covering now. Uh, how do we want to go about this, Devin? Because we have a lot to choose from. That's true. I don't know. Uh, we can do it, uh, based on the order that we have on the sheet. Well, yeah, there's that, or... Then we kind of get towards the... Yeah, let's do it that way. Yeah, we'll do it that way, because then we end with the 2008 stuff. So the first one that we we're covering is House of M Spider-Man, which was written by Mark Wade and Tom Pyre, with art with pencils by Salvador La Roca, inks by Danny Miki, and Liquid did the colors. And in this universe, Peter got married to Gwen Stacy, the Rhino is his bodyguard, Uncle Ben is still alive, and... Peter is publicly Spider-Man, but the public also thinks that he is a mutant, and J. Jonah Jameson is his sort of set-upon publicist. Do you want to go into this one more? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, basically, likely for Peter, since he got his powers around the age that all mutants developed their powers, everyone believes he's a mutant. And J basically, he still remembers and worked for Jameson at the Daily Bugle, but now that he's all big and famous, he wants to take all his frustration that for all the shit Jameson gave him back out on him. Though um, he does normally apologize for it. Yes. Uh, Captain Stacy's trying to help Peter sell his big inventions that he has, because a lot of them can help out with the police, in, the police force. And currently Gwen is trying to buy out the Oscorp building. Now Crusher Hogan, who's usually the person that Peter wrestles at the very beginning of the whole Spider-Man series. He is known as the Green Goblin and they're best pals with still Peter and Peter has a son named Richie named after his fa late father Richard Parker who apparently did not come back as evil robots in this universe. Uh, but Peter they also nice still died <clears throat> Wait, what? But they still died mysteriously. Oh yes. Uh, Peter has a cute little birthday party uh, he makes Jameson feel real bad, who leaves, but then he gets approached by the Green Goblin, but not the wrestler. Yeah, Jameson gets approached by the Green Goblin. Yeah. Yeah, just clarifying. Okay. But yeah, but it's not the Green Goblin wrestler, it is Green Goblin the supervillain, who promises to help Jameson destroy Spider-Man, and he gives him um, Peter Parker's little secret journal. And basically in there it's like a whole confessional about how he's not actually a mutant, because for some reason, Peter thought that uh, that was a good idea to write that down. Mm -hmm. And so Peter ends up getting worried because he sees footage about Jameson meeting with the Goblin. And so he sends the Rhino to talk to Crusher Hogan. And as a result, the Rhino accidentally hospitali hospitalizes uh, Crusher. Mm -hmm. And Peter starts on his trail. So he like confronts Norman Osborn and Osborn's like, oh, yeah. Everything that I had is now owned by you. And Peter ends up finding Jameson in the subway when he's dressed as Spider-Man. And Jameson ends up on TV and he reveals that Parker is actually 
human. And his, like, entire world goes to shit. Basically. He's, yeah. His business collapses. Uh, Rhino ends up going on a rampage. Uh, Peter hasn't been home, so his family is worried about him. And so the Green Goblin ends up reaching out to the Rhino for revenge. But when they go to the meeting, the Rhino shows up with Vulture, Electro, and Ox of the Enforcers. And they go to knock out the Green Goblin. But it turns out that the Green Goblin is... Peter Parker. And he ends up escaping, but not before Gwen sees him. And Peter tells Gwen to keep him away from their child. Jameson is meanwhile basking in his glory for outing this fake mutant. And Parker's family is crashing. And Parker's legacy is crashing down around him because the House of M has confiscated everything that he had. So his family decides that they want to get the journal back. Jameson, meanwhile, went to Osborne, and he's, like, worried that Peter Parker is going to do something to him. And so Jameson... And so Norman Osborne recommends that he talks to Alistair Smythe to get some protection. And when Captain Stacy, Gwen, and Uncle Ben come in, they find that Jameson is waiting for them with a Spider Slayer robot. But luckily, Spider-Man comes in, destroys the robot... And he tries to run off with the journal, except... Um, basically, Captain Stacy gets a hold of it. Yep. And they decide to read it out loud, and everyone kind of has a pretty messed up reaction to it, because both Gwen and... Or actually, no, correction. George, Gwen, and Uncle Ben are all dead. Only Aunt May makes it out okay, but she's, like, getting sick every five minutes. Yeah, it's pretty much the normal six-on-six adventures... Turned into, like, really weird fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he wants and, to marry Mary Jane Watson. Yes. Which is weird because Mary Jane of this universe starred as his wife in the Spider-Man movie. Yes. And Spider-Man is, meanwhile, still trying to be a hero, but it's not working, and his exposure has actually increased anti-human sentiment. And Uncle Ben is finally able to talk to... Peter and so Spider-Man ends up faking his own suicide but leaves a warning to Magneto to stop being so rough on the humans and then he moves out to the country to live with his family for the rest of his life. Yep. Oh and also Peter had a weird mental breakdown at the beginning and ends up shaving his head so he's bald. Yep. It was interesting. It's a really good story but it really it has no place within House of M. Or like it does but it contradicts everything from the House of M story. Yeah. Because he still seems to be a quite successful actor at the time. Yeah, like, none of this actually influences the story except that he has his head shaved. Yeah. Basically, the way I've kind of, like, learned, it's, like, kind of like a two-fold thing. Of it's like we need to just accept that the House of M never actually ended. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is kind of how everything is going. Kind of like a lot, like, the 10th anniversary stuff of, um... Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, it's what would have happened if there hadn't been Wolverine waking up. Yes. Uh, up next we have House of M Iron Man, which was written by Greg Pot with art by Pat Lee. Uh, inks and colors by Dream Engine with VC's Russ Wooten on the letters. And I want to say, Pat Lee is not a good artist. 
Yeah, it was okay. Did you look at those faces and poses? Yeah. That's like 7th grade quality shit. Yeah. It... No, I, mean, I I'll totally agree. It was not stellar. Yeah. Well, Pat Lee is also a guy who makes like hundreds of thousands of dollars off of his stuff. From what? Like, he does a lot of Transformer stuff. Oh, like, okay. that's what he's famous for. Uh, I'll link to it, but uh, Dave Willis, who does the comic Short Pact, and who currently does uh, Dumbing of Age, he used to do all these comics about how Pat Lee was horrible. Yeah. Uh, Tony Stark, Johnny Storm, and Tony's dad, Howard Stark, are competitors in Sapien Deathmatch, where they fight Sentinels in robot suits. And also, Tony runs Stark Industry with Forge and Hank McCoy working with him. Uh, their project is called the Vision Project, where Surprise are going to work on uh, Android Life. And Hank Pym is working on his own project where he is illegally trying to map the mutant genome. Mm-hmm. And it's also just something that I wanted to nitpick. Forge and Hank McCoy have the exact same skin tone, even though Forge is navajo slash native american it's like yeah forge is whatever you want him to be is basically (sighs) how it ends up usually going just like roberto da costa which really really sucks yeah like but yeah this was pat lee hiring his own company to do the pinks and colors well last time i read anything with him in it it still really depends on the colorists and the editors behind it. Oh, okay. Because during Hickman's Avengers run... Yeah, Hickman did a good job of it, but like it's been really inconsistent in like New Avengers and a few oh, other okay, books. I haven't read any of New Avengers, so... Yeah. And... Yep. And so Tony Stark is meanwhile working on his own advanced version of the Iron Man suit. When Pym, when Pym ends up leading the lab... Tony tries to follow him and ends up finding him at a sapient resistance meeting. And so he goes in with the suit, and suddenly they're attacked by Sentinels, and it turns out that his dad is piloting the Sentinels and helps him escape. And the media is fascinated by Iron Man, and a House of M envoy ends up showing up to check out Project Vision and also informs them of all this other stuff, like they think that Johnny Storm is the one who is piloting the Iron Man suit. And they more or less ask him to kill Johnny if they see him. His dad, meanwhile, wants him to fall in line and destroy the Iron Man's suit. But Johnny has ended up finding the suit and Tony is like, yeah, I should probably go and destroy that. And meanwhile, humans are being rounded up into camps, including Hank Pym. So Johnny and Iron Man go to save him. But when they get pursued, Pym reveals that he has a gene bomb with him. And it's set to kill all the mutants, and he has planted a bunch of these in Chicago to wipe out the entire mutant population. So Tony needs to find him, but he and to do so he has to physically deactivate him. He contacts the lab and tries to like evacuate the city, but the House of M won't do that. And he tries to get bomb crews, but they don't really work. And so Tony and Johnny are working to deactivate the bombs, but the in but the fleet of visions attack because it turns out Howard is controlling those. So Tony has to fight back and calls in the other pilots from the Sapien League. And like they deactivate the bombs 
and the civilians get involved with this as well. Howard ends up turning the bomb and the controls over to... Ha- <laughs> Howard ends up turning the bomb and the controls... <laughs> Yeah, when I read that sentence, I'm like, I don't really know what you're saying there, but okay. Uh, I mean, I know what you're saying, but... Howard turns the last bomb and the controls over to Tony, because it turns out that he really just wanted to draw Magneto. And if Tony slash Iron Man stops Howard and the terrorists, he'll end up becoming a hero, so Tony ends up destroying the bomb. And afterwards, the House of M works to destroy his company and seize his assets because his father was connected to it, but Tony Stark is now too busy being a hero as Iron Man. Yay. Which, it had a really weird ending there. It did. Overall, I like the story, but yeah, the ending is a little strange. And the art is nasty. Yeah. It is not good art. Uh, Up next, we have House of M Fantastic Four, written by John Lehman, with pencils by Scott Eaton. Inks by Don Hillsman II and Rick Magar and Rick Magyar with Dean White and Avalon's Rob Rowe on the colors and VC's Corey Petit and Randy Gentile on the letters. And we start off with the Fearsome Four invading Subterraria to overthrow Mole King. And the Fearsome Four consists of Victor Von Doom, who can turn his body into multiple metal, his wife, Valeria the Invincible Woman, their son, Kristoff, the Inhuman Torch, and the It, which is Ben Grimm, except he's bigger and badder and stronger, too. He's a fourth member of the Fearsome Four crew. Who? Ben Grimm. The uh, It. He's the strong guy of the Ben Grimm. You know him. Ben Grimm is here. He's finally here to kick some rock. And before... Doom kills Mole King. Mole King says that he's just a slave. And so they return home and Doom is really haunted because he serves Magneto. And he's not really as fancy and a leader as much as he would like to be. And his mom sort of calls him out on this as well. Pietro ends up coming and Magneto pretty much tells him to. And he delivers a message that Magneto wants Doom to chill out a bit. And it turns out that in this universe, Ben was the only survivor of the Fantastic Four ship, which contained John Jameson instead of Johnny Storm, and everyone else died on the ship. Magneto ends up requesting that Doom work on an extra-dimensional prison to hold prisoners, and Doom has pretty much been waiting for this. So he and his family go to a world, wipe out the native population, and he determined that this is the place where magic is going to be able to mess with the laws of science, including electromagnetics, while also allowing the family to enhance their own powers, which Ben really doesn't want because he's treated like a hulking monster. Mm-hmm. And so the royal family of Quicksilver and Magneto end up following Doom and his family through the portal. They get their asses kicked. And when Doom and his family step out, They kill everyone who Doom suspects is working for the House of M secretly. And Ben is like, hey, can I finally get some respect? And he's told just to destroy the teleporter. While Doom and his family go to take out Polaris. Unfortunately, Ben frees Polaris. They get Magneto and Quicksilver out. The castle is destroyed and during the fight, Doom loses his son and wife. And when they bring his mother out... 
she disowns him, so she gets set free. Magneto messes with Doom's metallic form, and he's just left this broken man who's going to fall in line with Magneto. And Ben joins the human resistance where he ends up meeting Alicia Masters. So yeah, I like this one too, but here's my thing. It made me also kind of love the Spider-Man House of M more, because now you really realize that since John Jameson is dead, that Peter Parker is actually just bullying a man who was trying to overcome the loss of his son. <laughs> Those are the panels that you don't see. Oh, I'm sorry, Jonah. Is your son dead? That's what I thought. <laughs> uh, up next, we have Incredible Hulk 83 through 86, which was written by Peter David with art by Jorge Lucas uh, with, with colors by Javi Montes. Carlos Lopez and William Murray, and Randy Gentile on the letters. And, yeah, Bruce Banner is living with the Aboriginal Australians in the Outback, where he's being monitored along with the other human outcasts by Scorpion, who is the teen girl version of Scorpion, except she's not really Scorpion. Yeah. And Adam, who is a cyborg, whose father is Dr. Isaacs, who is a scientist working with AIM, which is led by Scorpion's mother, Dr. Rapacini, because Australia is basically Nazi Germany for non-mutants, and AIM really doesn't like that. The Australians end up sending troops, so Bruce, uh, because this breaks their non-engagement contract with the Aboriginals, he, like, goes and hulks out at them. He beats the hell out of Unicy Untouchable, he throws alligators at people, and with the help of AIM, he turns back the government. And at their base, Exodus, who is the leader of the government in Australia, is frustrated. But it turns out that in the fight, they were able to capture Adam, the cyborg. And so Hulk ends up teaming up with AIM to teach the government a thing or two. He ends up carrying a blue whale above their submarine, so they're able to hide it from the government. Uh, Monica Rapacini ends up flirting with Bruce. Adam gets deconstructed, and AIM ends up launching a bomb that's full of notes, telling the government to meet them for a peace summit. Uh, when Exodus goes to the entourage, Dr. Isaacs tells his son to activate, so his son Adam ends up killing all the scientists, which allows Bruce to hulk out, and he kills Exodus and their boar, and therefore conquers Australia. Hooray! Uh, time passes, and Monica and Bruce are in a relationship, and she reminds him that they had actually hooked up back in college. Silly Scorpion. Monica, I only hooked up with a girl named Nikki. Which is also short for... Nicole. Anaconda. And then, oh, I'm Bruce Banner. Look at me being inept. Oh, it's also short for Monica. Mm-hmm. And Scorpion ends up finding a young woman whose boyfriend was kidnapped because someone is taking medical subjects in and they're never seen again. And Bruce, meanwhile, is threatening his way through world politics, but he's really not comfortable wearing the crown of leadership. And Scorpion and Bruce end up breaking into the medical experiment labs and they find out that people are making a cyborg army to fight the mutants and that... Pe and the people making the army is AIM, including Dr. Isaacs and Monica. They fight their way out of the cyborgs, but Monica ends up releasing like a 30-foot-tall Frankenstein monster to fight the Hulk. 
and he kills it using the Sydney Opera House and then destroys the rest of the Sydney Opera House. Monica betrays her government cohorts and after and the Hulk ends up evicting everyone from the country except for Monica because he knows he can't trust her so she gets to stay. And Magneto shows up and offers to take control of Australia once more and Bruce threatens that if he comes back he will destroy the entire House of M. Luke, you didn't even talk about why Bruce destroyed the Sydney Opera House. Purely because he doesn't like opera. Yeah. Uh, this was followed up by Hulk Broken World's Punyville, which was published in 2009. Uh, it's sort of an anthology of other universe Hulk stories. Uh, Fred Van Lente was the writer, Clayton Henry did the art, Emily Warren did the colors, and VC's Joe Caramanga did the lettering. And Australia has become incredibly popular, especially for refugees. So the Hulk has to move like all the people who want to come into Australia into shanty towns. And Betty Ross, who is now Betty Talbot, and her husband Glenn show up. And Hulk ends up taking Betty away. That afternoon, Glenn drinks with three other refugees and he reveals that he has an inhibitor collar. So they decide to take the Hulk down a peg or two. For putting him into the Punyville shantytown. And that night when Bruce and Betty are... What are you chain? I'm just teaching you how these things work, Luke. For any future writing endeavors. Oh, That's Betty... how you use the NEE thing. Okay. Because it's, it's stands for like... nay, which is French for born. I didn't know that. Yep. Ha ha ha. So it's Betty Talbot, born Ross, essentially. Okay. Well, I learned something today. Bam. Devin's a jerk. No, you're not. Me and Professor X. And uh, Bruce and Betty kiss back at his mansion. Talbot and his crew show up and they slap a collar on the Hulk. And it turns out that the other three people were mercenaries. Wild Child, Arclight, and Mentallo, who are working for the House of M. Arclight ends up killing Betty which causes Bruce to hulk out past the collar, and then he kills everyone else except for Glenn, and he realizes that with Ross and Talbot broken, and the only woman that he loved unable to leave his side because she is dead, he now has everything he wanted, and he feels hollow. Womp womp. Hooray. That's not true. He could just go back to living with the Aborigines. He seemed to be having a pretty good time there. The weird thing with, like, Aborigines being the only tribe that, like, Marvel likes to regularly use is weird. Oh, it is. Because there have been, like, three Aboriginal characters. At yeah. least three. Because there's Gateway, Bishop, and, uh, new Avengers guy. Oh, Manifold? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> After that, we have Uncanny X-Men 462 through 465, which was written by Chris Claremont with art by Alan Davis and then Chris Bacalo on pencils with Mark Farmer, Erwin Mendoza, Olazaba, Rapmundo, Florea, Holdridge, Parsons, Townsend, and Vey on inks, Avalon's Matt Miller and Studio F on the colors, VC's Russ Wooten and Chris Eliopoulos and Corey Petit on letters. Yeah, I see that issue I've got there. Mm-hmm. And... 
Captain Britain and all the multiversal stuff is super complicated. Like, we're going to have to cover that eventually, I think. Oh, for sure. Which makes me kind of sad because, like, Jay and Miles have gotten into that position in their episode run. Or they have to cover Otherworld? Uh, well, they're covering the uh, Excalibur stuff. Well, I know which Otherworld story we should cover, which will take care of Otherworld, and it's super fun. And by super fun, I mean super depressing. Is it the Uncanny X-Force one? It totally is the Uncanny X-Force. I hated that one because I had no idea what was going on. Oh. That's fair. But I did. And it was great. So, Psylocke and Rachel Gray's world ends as they're fighting the Weapners with the X-Men. And Rachel ends up protecting them in the Heart of the Phoenix. In the Heart of the Phoenix slash the White Hot Room. Meanwhile, in Otherworld, which is a whole thing, Brian Braddock, who's the Captain Britain of the 616, and Megan, who's his wife, who's sort of an elf thing... Uh, they wake up because their damn earth is causing the multiverse to end again. And the chaos, Mad Jim Jaspers, who's a whole thing, escapes and merges with the Fury, which is another thing. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. Brian Braddock has 48 hours to seal a breach in the 616, or else Roma, who is the daughter of Merlin, is going to destroy their universe. Helping him are his wife, Megan, Psylocke, his sister, and Rachel Gray. Weirdly, Psylocke, when she enters into this universe along with Rachel and they, like, get readjusted to fit into the universe, does not turn into an English white person, which is weird. That's because, honestly, at this stage in the game, I feel like Marvel's forgotten what she even looks like. Yeah, and so the new reality... I mean, mean, like, hell, even, like, look at what's it called, like, the new X-Men movie they got Olivia Munn to play it, because... Everyone just now knows Asian Psylocke. Yeah. Most people, I can tell you, probably have no idea that she used to be British. The new reality ends up whammying them, and so Brian is now the king of England, and he doesn't really remember his mission. Rachel and Psylocke end up finding Nocturne, who had formerly been from the Exiles, but her memories are sort of mixed up, like Mom's Spaghetti, and she ends up leading, and she ends up leading them to the Breach, but she was being hunted by bounty hunters. Brian's memories end up getting restored when he reaches the breach, but the Sentinels, including Karima Shapandar, who is the Omega Sentinel, show up. Roma ends up sending more people to help them, and they're able to close the breach, but ultimately, Megan has to stay behind, which stays until the Captain Britain and MI-13 series, which is really, really good. That's pretty much it. Like, there is so much stuff going on there that I didn't follow a lot That's of it. That's because Captain Britain just ruins everything. He does. What's it called? Everything with uh, Avengers oh, vs. X-Men. Oh, are you blaming him for breaking up the Phoenix Force? Yep, because he was being a dick and being a showboat. Up next, we have New Thunderbolts, number 11, which was written by Fabian Nicieza with Tom Grumman on pencils, Gary Erskine on inks, RS and Comic Crafts, Albert DeShane's on letters, and Soto J- and Soto Colors, Jay Brown on colors. And this is another one where there's a lot of stuff going on, and I feel like even though it's an alternate universe story, I didn't catch a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So the Kree made peace with Earth after Marvel died, so his son Genus Vell is now visiting the Earth to help fight the Thunderbolts with Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, and while fighting a villain who can do some time travel stuff. Genusville has visions of the real world that starts causing problems as he sees more and more stuff and he's losing control. 
He like sees the tomb of Rick Jones as he becomes a spatial conduit that might collapse the universe. And luckily, human terrorists who are trying to kill the Kree end up hitting him with a biotoxin that restores him to normal. It's weird and confusing. There's a lot of other stuff, like Purple Man is a government agent and stuff. Yeah, it was a weird storyline. Next and up now, is... if we're talking about confusing things, let's talk about House of M Utopia. Uh, yeah, House of M Utopia was written by David Heen with Lan Medina on pencils, Alejandro Sicat on inks, Avalon's Dave Kemp on colors, and Richard Starkings and comic crafts Jimmy B on letters. Ismail Ortega and his partner Lucas Bishop are sent to protect Daniel Kaufman, who is a media mogul and a suspected gangster. Bishop ends up stopping an attack on his life and Ismail and Daniel's girlfriend, a mutant with illusion powers named Lara the Illusionist, uh, become attracted to one another. So Ismail ends up cheating on her despite being married and having two kids. One of whom is currently a mutant, and the other who is waiting for the right of mutant transcendence, which wakes up dormant mutant powers, which Ismail, who is human, doesn't really want. Paparazzi end up getting images of Lara and Ismail kissing into the pulse, so Armina, Ismail's wife, uses this to get his to get him to convince his daughter to get the right done. In retaliation. Kaufman hires a sapient terrorist and gives her surgery to look like a mutant so that she can kill Ortega. Lara, who had been put into prison by her boyfriend, ends up escaping and freeing Filthy Frankie, who is a person who Kaufman had previously strung up to torture after he had, after Filthy Frankie had tried to assassinate Kaufman. At the ceremony, the terror attack ends up getting messed up, so Chimera, Ismail's daughter, who is in the ceremony, ends up getting shot. And the terrorist is killed because she failed her mission. They try to get Gregor Smerdyakov, who is the guru who awakens mutant powers, to help bring her back. But he can't, and then the House of M ends. And weirdly, they're, like the last issue of this miniseries happened in Decimation instead. And when it wakes up, everyone remembers the House of M and the powers they had in the other universe, which does not make sense. Nope. Was that was was confusing to you or? Just I don't. I'd never read any of the District X storylines. So. Oh, this this was like this guy's first and only like series that he showed up in. No, it wasn't. I looked it up because I was curious. No, he had like an entire like little mini series of him like being a police officer in like mutant ghetto essentially. Oh. Huh. Okay. Yeah, it was called, oh. like, it's like District X, I think is what it's called. Weird. Like and then he never issues. I didn't ever read it, I didn't really care. Okay, I was wrong then. Yeah. It's got some interesting stuff, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Yes. After that is Wolverine number 33 through 35, which was written by Daniel Way, with breakdowns by Javier Salateras. With Mark Texeri on the finishes, Paul Mounts on colors, and VCs Joe Carmanga and Randy Jinta on the letters. Wolverine has been acting weird recently, so Sebastian Shaw calls Mystique into his office. Uh, he had been drinking and taking drugs recently to deal with a lot of loss in his life, but it ended up spiraling when he went down to Mexico to like do security duty at a party. Someone threw acid on his face. And he ended up actually getting brought down, so Mystique had to step in. 
followed by Marines who came into the party and just shot a whole bunch of innocent people on accident, and the Sentinel that they were sent down to guard and that the party was for ended up getting stolen, with Logan's commanding officer, Nick Fury, presumably behind it all. But the weird thing is that he has supposedly been dead for the last 20 years. It turns out that Fury and the other top brass in the military had their families held hostage so they'd stay in and train the mutants who were coming in to replace them, which included Wolverine, who was made squad leader since Fury didn't like him, and the two frequently fought, and Wolverine ended up rigging up an explosion and making it look like another cadet was behind it, which presumably killed Nick Fury, but his body was never really found. After Wolverine was hospitalized in Mexico, he went after Fury and left a message, Don't Follow, for Mystique, which she didn't follow, which Shaw wasn't happy about, so he ends up putting her into the brig. Going back into the flashback, Wolverine had been conflicted over the treatment of Fury by the government, and Mystique, uh, when she had followed him, had gone after Logan, and they found the deconstructed Sentinel, and Logan found that Fury had revealed that resistance fighters were working on a way to deconstruct the Sentinels to find their weakness, and that by killing Logan, he believed that he could kill the Red Guard. Fury ends up blowing up the base because he's only a hologram. Logan ends up saving Mystique, who had wandered in. And then it turns out that Mystique had actually planned everything and had turned herself into Nick Fury to give Wolverine his spark back, and Shaw orders her to bring him back in. Now that he's on this hunt for a person who he can never actually find. Hooray! And the series after that is is uh, Wolverine Origins. So, remember how the one thing everyone wanted to know was Wolverine's backstory. Nope. Remember how that didn't ruin the character at all. I liked it better when elves knew his backstory. When who? Elves. Oh yes. Or the leprechauns of Cassidy Keep. Remember how Logan's name really isn't Logan? It's James. His name's James. He's a good guy. After that, we have New X-Men Academy X, numbers 16 through 19, which was written by, Nuni, which was written by Nunzio De Filippis and Christina Weir, with pencils by Aaron Lopresti, with pencils by Aaron Lopresti, with pencils by Aaron Lopresti, Inks by Brad Bancata, with Pete Pantazis and Tom Chu in colors, and Dave Sharp on the letters. And there are two groups, at, and there are two, like, fancy mutant schools. One is the New Mutant Leadership Institute, and then there are the S.H.I.E.L.D. trainees who are known as the Hellions, and they are rival schools. David Elaine is a new mutant, and Noriko Ashida is a Hellion, and they're in a relationship together, which none of the other people know. Noriko ends up getting cut from a mission in Tokyo, and she finds out that it's because her human father is the leader of the resistance movement. Lori Garrison finds out that David... Yeah. Lori Garrison finds this out, and Dave... Yeah. Lori finds this out... Lori Garrison finds this out from David and tells her father, Sean, who is a faculty member. Meanwhile, Quentin Quire also finds out, and Lori ends up making Quentin kill himself with pheromones because she and her father are secretly S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, 
and they don't want other people to know about the secret mission. The Hellions are sent to find out about Project Genesis, which is a Japanese government project. And the New Mutants also go to Japan with Lori, unaware that she is working for S.H.I.E.L.D. and that she killed Quentin. They end up finding the terrorists and get into a fight. The New Mutants find out that Genesis is a, a attempt to turn humans into mutants, but it's not really working. The Hellions also show up, though, because Lori told them what was going on. Meanwhile, Shan Koi Man and Doug Ramsey have been trying to figure out what is going on. And Sean Garrison finds out that they're trying to find out, and he tries to make them kill one another. But Brian Cruz, who is Quentin Quire's old friend, who's been trying to find out what happened because he doesn't believe Quire killed himself, ends up saving them and kills Sean. Meanwhile, Laurie makes the teens fight one another, including Jubilee and a version of Dust, who is normally like a hardcore fundamentalist Muslim who in this universe is a mall rat just like Jubilee, which was pretty fantastic. Everyone should be a mall rat just like Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Um, Mercury ends up working... Or, Mercury ends up killing Lori, which ends the fighting. And so the human resistance and the mutant students sort of work things out so they can free the subjects and dismantle the base, but the fighting has attracted Emperor Sunfire and the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and... They're basically outed as working with the human resistance, so Sunfire's forces and all the mutants and humans face off before the universe ends. My biggest problem is I didn't know who any of these mutants were for the most part. Yeah, me neither. Because, like, all of them except for Choir are post-Morrison. Uh, yeah. And then uh, you make Quentin Choir kill himself. Yeah. Which is bullshit. You can't kill the choir. I don't know. I think he'd be easily affected by pheromones. That's probably true. He is a trashy teen. He is such a trashy teen. Up next, speaking of trashy teenagers, is Cable and Deadpool number 17, which was also written... Which was written by Fabian Nicieza, with pencils by Patrick Zersher, Udon's Meth on inks, and Gotham on colors, with VC's Corey Petit on letters. And Deadpool is on this quest to try and find his buddy Cable, with Siren and Cannibal looking after him since they also knew Cable. And it turns out that Cable in the House of M universe is a baby with a glowing eye and a techno-organic arm being raised by Mr. Sinister, who is like a evil homemaker. And after initially attacking him, Deadpool finds out that Mr. Sinister is the homemaker, Sinister ends up asking about who Cable is set to become, and then because Siren and Cannonball also showed up, they all get invited in for barbecue and he explains the state of the world. And it turns out that Mr. Sinister had drugged the food because he really wants to dissect Deadpool. He ends up leading them down to their lab because it's not really working. And Cannonball and Siren are sent back to Westchester. Deadpool still wants the baby Cable. So Sinister ends up harvesting Deadpool's DNA so he can rapidly age Cable, which ends up waking up Cable's previously dormant telekinetic abilities. And in the chaos, Deadpool is able to escape with the wee baby Cable, and the House of M ends. Hooray! Up next is... I like is, the Cable and Deadpool series. I haven't read it, but this made me enjoy... This made me interested. I love how Mr. Sinister is a big fan of Dazzler. Mm-hmm. And how he just keeps a really nice looking house. Yes. Oh, speaking of Dazzler. I'm going to segue here for a second. 
did you hear that if you pre-order, I forget where you have to pre-order from, the new X-Men movie on Blu-ray, you get a free um, vinyl jacket for the Dazzler album that was in that one picture. Uh, I am seeing that now. Yeah, if you order the uh, Blu-ray. From where? Does it say what? This is from Amazon. I am. Oh, if you pre-ordered at San Diego Comic Con. Oh, okay. You would receive the uh, vinyl cover. If only you'd gone to San Diego this year, Devin. Right. Uh, up next is Black Panther number seven, which was written by Reginald Hudlin. With Trevor Harrison on pencils, John Dell on inks, Dean White on colors, and VCs Randy Gentile on colors. So, Magneto's trying to make Quicksilver court Storm, who was sort who is sort of in a relationship with Black Panther, but not really. And he goes as far as bringing her ice cream from Tuscany in a mini refrigerator, but she turns him away. And Magneto is like, "Oh yeah, guess you're not good enough," and. He and Magneto's really not a fan of how powerful Wakanda and Africa have become since Storm took over, even though Magneto put Storm in charge of Africa, which is also sort of recidivist, which is also sort of weird because they're referring to Africa as one country, except for the part that I'm getting off track. Mm-hmm. So Storm is on Dazzler. She's talking about how being a mutant doesn't actually make you better. And that racism and the human ideal of perfection is still a white person who looks human. And that really pisses off Magneto. And meanwhile, Black Panther is a playboy who Storm is pretty much fed up with. Magneto ends up sending Sabretooth in to kill Black Panther. So Black Panther decapitates him and mails the head back to Magneto. And then Panther calls the Council of Kings and asks them to help him and asks him to help stand up against Magneto. Magneto orders Apocalypse to kill Black Panther, and on the way, Storm knocks out Apocalypse's ship. Namor fights him in the water. Sunfire knocks out Iceman, who had frozen Apocalypse. Angel and Nightcrawler are supposed to jump in on the fight, but Angel doesn't really want to. Apocalypse ends up reaching the castle, where Monica Rambeau and Shauna the She-Devil are getting distracted, fighting over Black Panther. And then when Apocalypse reaches the throne room, Black Panther runs away. And when Apocalypse follows him, he finds Black Bolt waiting for him. And Black Bolt says a single word and destroys the hell out of Apocalypse. And it's like a short issue. It's the writing of Black Panther is really weird. It was, yeah. He's a lot more swashbuckly than I'd expect. And so I'm not sure if it's just the writer or the... uh, House of M universe. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I mean, it was a fun little one-off issue. Oh, yeah. And it was neat seeing, like, some of the relationships and stuff. Yeah. And then in 2008, a few years after House of M came out, they ended up doing three more miniseries. The first was Civil War House of M, which was written by Christos Gage with Mike Perkins on pencils, Andrea DeVito on inks, Frank Martin... Laura Villari, J. David Ramos, and Nathan Fairbairn on colors with Dave Sharp on the letters. 
And Magneto's story follows the basic path. Concentration camp, Magda and the daughter who died, and then Magda runs away to give the twins. No, she doesn't, Luke. I believe you're mistaken, because, in fact, the twins are created from another family and modified by the high evolutionary. Ha <laughs> oh. uh, ha! Then he has the second relationship with Susanna Dane, who ends up giving birth to Lorna after he leaves. And the big change is that Apocalypse and Magneto meet one another instead of Magneto meeting Charles at this time. And Magneto refuses to wantonly kill the weak. So Apocalypse and Magneto come to blows, and Magneto almost kills Apocalypse, but he leaves him alive and warns him that the Earth won't be dealing with mutant oppression. And Magneto then starts to free the mutants who had been put into camps. He meets with Charles, and they go to Asteroid M, where Charles is hesitant, but Magneto sways him by revealing that humans in Genosha are practicing apartheid. So they agree to liberate it, only to run into the Soviet super soldiers. In the fight, Magneto basically lifts a mountain and threatens to crush everyone in Genosha, so they surrender. But Charles was crippled in the fight. Magneto ends up inviting all mutants to move to Genosha, but this ends up stirring more anti-mutant sentiments. So Charles suggests that they work politically, making peace with the Inhumans, Atlantis, and Wakanda. The Magneto doesn't really like the other mutants. Though Magneto doesn't really like the other leaders. Magneto then sends Sabretooth out to kill Graydon Creed, who's the leader of the anti-mutant movement. And in retaliation, the vice president sends in Bucky, Nuke, and Mimic. And during the siege, Charles is killed by Bucky. Magneto ends up facing off Mimic, who is not as shitty as the one in the Exiles. Because he is able to copy the powers of everyone on Genosha. Yeah, he was a much and better. And he threatens He was basically, um... Hope. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Nuke goes after the Scarlet Witch, so she ends up deconstructing him because even though, like everywhere else, she's thought to be a human, she actually has her powers the entire time. Back in the fight, Magneto ends up putting an inhibitor collar on Mimic, and because Mimic had been flying, he falls to his death. Uh, Charles says his goodbye to Magnus and asks him not to be too evil. But Bucky is still there, so Magneto takes Captain America's shield and decapitates him with it, winning the battle. Magneto then throws Captain America's shield into the White House and reveals that he has an army with him. So Trask orders Norad to destroy Genosha with nuclear missiles. Magneto then, con Magneto then heads to confront Trask at the helicarrier. Black Bolt stops the nukes, and Magneto and Quicksilver burst in. Trask tries to protect himself with a sentinel, and he gets killed instead when Magneto pushes him in front of the laser. Magneto leaves, for a so Magneto leaves for a safer place to fight as Quicksilver uh, takes files with Carol Danvers while the president waits to bomb Magneto and New York. So Magneto ends up bringing down Air Force One and forces the fighting to stop. Buen starts to recognize Genosha and... Magneto reveals that he is Lorna, Pietro, and Wanda's father, but it doesn't really turn out well because they're like, oh, you didn't tell us this before, and the world is thrown into disarray, and Magneto has everything he wanted. Except for being a good dad, it doesn't matter what universe it is, Magneto will never be one. He never wanted to be a good dad. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's true. It should just be as much like how there's no universe where Reed loves Sue, except for that one universe. 
There is no Magneto universe like a, where Pi- Magneto's a good father. Pietro gives like Magneto a world's best dad coffee mug, and Magneto's like, who told you this lie? It's true. Oh, man, maybe that should be the next, like how we got the commission of uh, a universe where Sue and uh, Reed love each other. Maybe they should have one where Magneto is a good a... father. <laughs> that that could just be a good series. Magneto's a good dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know uh, Jay from Jay and Miles has the Cyclops has a good day sketchbook. <laughs> Uh, up next is House of M Avengers, which was written by Christos Gage with art by Mike Perkins, with Drew Hennessy and Mike Perkins on the inks, Laura Martin and Raul Trevino on colors, and VCs Russ Wooten on letters. And Luke Cage recounts his backstory, how his friend Willis tricked him and got him sent away for 20 years with some drugs over a girl. And while Luke was sent to Seagate Prison, it was when Magneto started to show up. They ended up giving him powers, so Luke faked his death and came back home. And when he came back, Willis blew himself up trying to stop Luke Cage. So Cage became the boss of a group of sapient superhumans and took over Josie's bar in Hell's Kitchen, which is also known as Sapient Town. And eventually Turk and Grotto are joined by Hawkeye, Iron Fist, Moon Knight, Hobie Brown, who's normally Prowler, Mockingbird, and Tigra. And Tiger, who he had saved. But unfortunately, Misty Knight joined the police force, and her first mission is to go undercover and take him down. Cage's gang is in a turf war with the dragons, who are led by Shang-Chi, and it's sort of complicated. While Frank Castle is having lunch and a picnic, his family runs into some mutants who are lynching some people, and he's able to save his family, but he gets arrested because he kills them all. And he is brought in by John Proudstar, a.k.a. Thunderbird, who recruits him into a group called the Brotherhood to be their token human. Meanwhile, Misty tries to seduce Luke Cage, and they get involved with destroying the Kingpin. But, and seduce Luke, and she works on, like, destroying the Kingpin's empire, but Thunderbird just wants her to stop Luke Cage's gang, and... His whole plan is to get them tired out by fighting the dragons, and then the Brotherhood will show up. And when that happens, during the fight, Tiger ends up sacrificing herself to take a bullet that could have killed Luke Cage. And Misty is told to shoot Cage, but instead she attacks the Blob and betrays Thunderbird and then helps them escape with help from the Punisher, who they are able to talk down. In retaliation, Thunderbird has an avalanche. In retaliation, Thunderbird has avalanche collapse the street. And in the aftermath, the Brotherhood start to take down the other crime families. Uh, White Tiger is threatened to join the Brotherhood, but he passes on the offer and helps to further unify the humans against the uh, mutants. So other groups like the Wolf Pack, which is made of teen heroes, and the Kingpin's group end up joining with Luke Cage's group. And they hear that Thunderbird, and they hear that Thunderbird is threatening. Punisher's family so they reach out to him and they get his family out of the country into Wakanda and uh, while they're working on their plan Taskmaster of the Brotherhood ends up finding out so Luke has to beat him down and afterwards they kiss and Punisher and his family get off to Wakanda and in retaliation Thunderbird promises to 
look the other way for Kingpin if Kingpin helps him destroy the Empire that Luke Cage has. Punisher warns T'Challa that they need their help. Er, Punisher tells Luke that T'Challa is going to need their help if they're going to be fighting Magneto in the future. And so Hobie Brown ends up leaving and this sparks this whole communication about trying to get involved in a bigger global effort. Fisk ends up telling Thunderbird about the people who are leaving for Wakanda. Kingpin reveals that he knew that Black Cat who was working with him was a spy the entire time and tosses her out of a building. And the different cells of the Avengers, which is what Luke Cage's group are, the dragons and the wolf pack are all surprised attacked. And only Luke Cage, Cloak, Hawkeye, Misty Knight, and Iron Fist end up escaping. And they end up fighting with the Kingpin while Thunderbird prepare while Thunderbird prepares to spurge Sapien Town. The Avengers are united, so Luke Cage is dropped into the prison where all the other uh, superpowered people are. He frees everyone he can to save Sapien Town, and his forces meet with Cage. Uh, and the forces meet. Cage and Proudstar fight one another, and Cage ends up winning on public television. Thunderbird's plans, which were pretty illegal, start to come to light, including the Purge, which Holocaust survivor Magneto is not happy about. So the Brotherhood gets dissolved while the Avengers celebrate their victory. Yay! Yeah, it's weird because, like, so many of the characters in this are white, and they're the ones who are being persecuted against, like, except for Luke Cage and Misty Knight. And then, like, the people in the uh, dragon group. Also, the runaways show up as Pride's kids. And so does Stiltman. The last story that we're covering is the House of M, Masters of Evil, which was written by Christos Cage with Manuel Garcia, with Jesse Delperdang, Nelson Perarea, Scott Hanna on inks with Nathan Fairbairn, Bruno Hang and Chris Sotomayor on colors with Dave Sharp on letters. Parker Robbins is the hood and he has formed a group of super villains who are also sapiens. Their first heist is to steal material parts from a sentinel plant and it actually goes off well. And it ends up uniting the sapien population with the group that we'll refer to as the Masters of Evil. Parker ends up deciding to create the Sapien Rights League, basing his plan off of Joe Colombo's Italian-American Civil Rights League, and he uses a protest to allow for another major heist, but this one ends up attracting the direct attention of the Red Guard, who are able to capture a number of members of the group. But the Hood ends up keeping his promise to protect the criminals, so he launches an attack on the main helicarrier to free them. The Hood then realizes they need to act much bigger. Parker decides to take over a country, Santo... Santo Rico, which has rich mineral resources and a sapien majority, but they are controlled by the rich mutants who are headed by the Jeffries brothers. The team ends up launching an attack, takes out the brothers, and suffers heavy losses, but ultimately they capture the country. Parker realizes that he is now a target, and he tries to look at safe, looking for validation from other countries, while also revealing the evil experiments that the Jeffries brothers did to put pressure on Magneto. And so in response, Magneto uses Nitro, who is a member of the Sapien League in Masters of Evil, who had been captured and mind-wiped. Uh, he is controlled into publicly exploding, and they are able to claim this as an act of terrorism that the super 
that the Sabian Rights group was behind. And so the Red Guard goes in and slaughters all of the members of the Masters of Evil who didn't leave when they have a chance. Titania survives because her husband, the Absorbing Man, had thrown her like miles away to save her life. And now she works with the remains of the Masters of Evil and the Sapien Rights League to fight the House of M politically. And it's also weird because in this story, most of the Red Guard is killed, including Mystique. Yeah. So this is sort of like the final story of the universe. Yeah, probably. Like, I think the Masters of Evil and the uh, House of M Avengers are probably my favorites out of the, out of everything. Out of everything, everything? Um, Spider-Man was good, but I don't think they necessarily explained the, uh, like, psychotic break enough. See, I thought they did a fine job with it. See, well, House Spider-Man would be my top one for this one. Yeah. And I'll give well, it still to Iron Man. Art notwithstanding. I... The art just took me out of it too much to, like, really like the story at all. Uh, see, I'm able to ignore it if the art's not the greatest. But there's, like, not the greatest, and then there's that stuff. See, I don't think it's as bad as you say. I don't think he understands how necks work. Or faces. Yeah. But you know what? We do understand how it works. What? Trials of... The multiverse. So we're going to put on two universes. We're going to put on the Bendis House of M. And then the, uh, like, Fuller universe of House of M. Yes. So the main House of M, we will mark that down as... Earth 58163-1, and then the rest of it will be Earth 58163. So, where do you think the Bendis version goes on Trials of the Multiverse? I, know, I mean, I know you and I have very differing opinions on House of M, so... Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I personally like House of M a lot. I think it's a lot of stuff that builds up, but does not actually have anything at the core of it, and it ends up leading to very little. See, I, I think it's good. Okay, how high would you put it? I would still put it, like, in the top quarter. Well, our current top quarter, we've got 345 on our list. So 345 divided by 4. What's that math, Devin? I don't know. Let's talk to Handy Dandy Phone. Okay, it would be in the top 86. Top 86.25, Luke. <laughs> okay. So number 86 is Iron Man had an eating disorder. Yeah. I like that more than House of M. The Bendis version. You like the eating disorder more? Yeah. See, I disagree with you. How high up would you go? I don't know. What's your ne what's our next bit? Uh, Yokai Spider Man. What's that one? That's the Japanese fairy tale where he's a demon. Oh yeah, see, I like it better than that. Above that is Pirate Johnny's World. Uh, yeah, I still like it better than that. Vampire Avengers. Yep, like it better than that. Reader moves all powers. Like it more. 
Spider Jameson. Like it more. Panda Pool. Like it more. Spider-Man was Man-Spider. Like it more than that. Puggernaut. Like it more. Bees Pool. More. Amalgam Universe. Uh, yeah, like it more than that. Strange Surgeon Supreme. I'll give it to Strange over that one. Uh, okay, I'll put it right under the Amalgam Universe. Okay. So, Earth. 58163.1. Bendis's House of M. And then we have all the extra stuff. And I like that a lot more. Overall, yeah. So I'm like scrolling up. How do you feel about it compared to uh, Marvel 1602? I actually like more than 1602. Uh, Iron Doom Masada? I like it more than that. Nocturne's World? More. Anansi's World? Uh, more. Venom plus Punisher? Uh, less. Yeah. So our new number 13 is Earth 58163 Expanded House of M. And uh, yeah, that wraps up our House of M coverage. I'm sorry we didn't get to do a uh, big uh, stylized episode like I had planned, but life happened. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we're, we're working on something big for our next big universe, which is the new universe. And, uh, yeah, these next few months are going to be crazy for me. I'll be at New York Comic Con. Hooray. So, if you'll be there, you can find me there. I am also going to be at uh, King of Trios and uh, Independence Day, which is in Columbus. And it's not the 4th of July, it's independent like whatever happened to Miss Independent. I don't know what King of Trios is. Uh, it's a Chikara wrestling event. Oh, I thought you meant like a Comic-Con that you're attending. Oh, no. But like uh, Kieran and Helena from Journey and Misery are going to be there. Chris and Matt from War Rocket Ajax are going to be there. And a bunch of other people I know. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that sort of wraps us up for this week. Devin, next week, what are we covering? We'll be covering the Exiles as they head into the House of M. For big shakeups, breakups, and one of the team members leaves the team <gasps> forever. <gasps> they do. Oh, man. Uh. Multiverse Q is a weekly podcast. You can find out more about us at MultiverseQ.com. We also have a Twitter, Facebook, MZ, Libsyn, Stitcher, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, best way to get at us is MultiverseQ at gmail.com or at MultiverseQ on the Twitter. Please give us feedback. Please give us reviews. I forgot to check for reviews this week, but I will make sure to have that ready for next week. And then if you are... A fan of the show, if you want to see us do more stupid things, if you want to see us do more, like, cray-cray episodes where it's all thematic and stylized, please take a moment and consider donating to the MZ. We try and make 
Patreon. We try and make it worth your while. Patreon. Yeah, please donate to the Patreon. We try and make it worth your while. We currently have two backers who are each giving us a dollar. But, like, more money gives us more financial freedom. And more of a incentive to go big or go home. Yes. Home to the house of them. But Luke, mo money, mo problems. Yeah, but the problem of which chandelier should I buy with my $4 a month Patreon money is not a problem I would hate having. That's true. <laughs> Those $4 Patreon chandeliers, Devin. We can have such great ones. Mm-hmm. Couple months we can get one of those like paper ones. Oh yeah, put it up in the chandelabra. Mm-hmm. Chandelabarium. In the uh, seeded and verdant uh, multiversal Q estates. And uh, Devin, where can people find you on the Twitter? You can find me on the Twitter at Fredo Fett. That's F R E D D O F E T T. Luke, where can people find you? You can find me on the Twitter at at Coltreg, and if you do want to buy a copy of my book digitally, you can go to LegacyRising.com and buy Heroes International number one. Or you can find me at a show and get it physically. Hot diggity damn. I know, I know. Well, I think that just about wraps us up for this week. Anything you want to say before we go? There's a new uh, Runaways show coming out. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I meant like witty one-liners or things to end the episode. Nope. This one's for Hank. It is.